Welcome to episode three of Please Rewind. This is the podcast where we review classic movies chosen by you, hosted by Steve Dunk and Jeremy Dove. So let's get going. Here's Steve. Hi, everybody. Hi, Jerry. How's it going? It's going good, buddy. How are you? Got my uh, Zero Sug, Dr. P. I'm ready nice. to rock. I'm ready to talk some uh, comedies. This was nice. sort of your idea to gauge the audience to see what kind of comedies people are into these days. Yeah. And uh, it's funny how, I mean, I think you got the idea because uh, we were talking about how there's just, or you were, there's just a void of comedies in general. It feels like that genre has really disappeared on us. So it shouldn't be surprising. I won't mention what they are yet, but the films that were chosen are a thousand years old. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we've been talking about the, the like comedy being gone for a long time. I, yeah, I don't even I, I can't even put a pin in it. But um, you know, I think it's I a genre. The, yeah, Sorry. the Judd Apatow, the Judd Apatow fever kind of running out of steam, I feel like was kind of the end of it for me. Yeah, whatever that I don't even can't even put a pin in what movie that would be. Um, you know, funny people for me, I think was, was awful, like the awful, end. fucking awful. Yeah. Um. I feel like it's a genre that we as an audience take for granted. And uh, like, I mean, film is subjective, but comedy is. And then now you add comedy, which is also subjective on its own. So um, you have got a double whammy of subjectivity there. So like what, you know, we don't all laugh at the same things. But um, but I think we take comedies for granted. And I think it's in a, in a time when we need to fucking laugh. <laughs> we um, yeah, yeah. It's just, it feels like we're void of that. And um, it's too bad because I mean, God, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, I mean, it's one of the big, uh, if there's, let's say there's four big genres in movies, right? Like yeah. action, action, drama, comedy, and musicals maybe like like tragedy. it's 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 tra it's one of comedy and tragedy that's a greek it's greek right it goes all the way back to the first theater if it's if there's a mount rushmore of genres right it's up there so yeah it's too bad but um you know we got you got we got two there a thousand years old we'll talk about those in a second but yeah it's been good but um you know it's couple of things i wanted to you know like barbie just crossed a billion dollars last weekend yes. which is insane to me it's it's breaking and, so, and we breaking should so applaud much. that because yes. um the box office is so strong this year well um, it's not actually but it is now thanks to the, those oppenheimer and barbie but it was on a string of like pretty decent sized flops i, I agree I, yeah. this is why i'm so surprised at the strength of the box office because it felt like the industry might have been over to me and thank god it was just my echo chamber of like dc and marvel and you know that 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 niche stuff that everybody's overfed on well but even mission impossible underperformed and even I, like it's well, right here you so, go yeah. and i and i want to lump in the uh the octogenarian oligarch uh, uh franchises <laughs> um the harrison like yeah the yeah. indiana jones indiana the, jones the, yeah. the tom cruise who like before his that movie came out there were articles saying he wanted to keep making those movies till he was 80 yeah like harrison ford right yeah, yeah. and i was and I, was, I i wanted to vomit a little bit when i heard that like like i'm no no we're sick of this i think and i think it, it it's been proven yeah um, yeah the box big, office is yeah. not dead going yeah. to the theater is not dead um people were just sick of the same old shit and low quality shit that was forced because uh, you know uh, of these uh these legacies um that have so much power in hollywood <laughs> and it forces us to like it puts us in a box and it puts it puts us yeah. it puts us in a position where because when when everything is bad we're, we we find ourselves defending subpar shit and i've seen people like go to the hill for dial of destiny and i've seen people go to the hill yeah. for the flash these are fucking like not even subjectively these are objectively bad films i'm sorry they are you can enjoy them all you want right yeah, good for you yeah, and that's what yeah. the, that's listen that's the goal of life to enjoy your life so go for it i don't yeah. begrudge people that but these yeah. are objectively bad films and i think you're right people are just like you know what fuck it if you're gonna keep giving us this shit and i yeah. guess you know thank god for christopher nolan and and greta gerwig and yeah. even even though these are like no like these aren't original like original things right At Oppenheimer's, all. yeah At all. Like, these yeah. are just as 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 
petty <laughs> and, and shallow. Uh, I, I, it's 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 honestly almost perverse to celebrate the legacy of Oppenheimer, and, um, and I think I think the the uh, the anniversary of Hiroshima passed like on the release date uh, of of that movie. Um, and um, and the Barbie no, thing. Here, no, Hiroshima's in September. There's September. Oh, okay. Six and ninth. Um, and the Barbie thing is like somebody didn't see Oppenheimer. It's this. No, I didn't see Oppenheimer <laughs> yet. No, um, I'm going to. I mean, yeah. I definitely am going to. But please, I, ever anyone like I know people just you know, uh, but like I haven't seen Barbie yet. And both of those films, honestly, like. Nolan for sure, for sure. Nolan Oppenheimer, you have to see it in a theater. You have to like yeah. the earth shakes. Um, yeah. And yeah. Barbie, you know, I would say Barbie is definitely movie worthy as well. Like it, there's there's strong visuals that are worthy of, of a, a visit to the to the local cinema. So, but definitely like if, if it's one or the other, Oppenheimer for sure. And that's no surprise if we know Nolan's body of work. So yeah. right. Well, I just I'm just happy because like b- before before that weekend, before Barbenheimer weekend. Uh, it seemed like the narrative was just that it's all over, yeah. and uh, and maybe, and maybe the I don't know, and I don't, I'm you know I I know go woke go broke is bullshit, but but the narrative that we are so divided now that maybe some stuff can't be popular anymore because we can't come together on on some stuff anymore might be true. I was starting to worry about that. Like maybe we can't come together in movie theaters anymore. Maybe it's a, maybe that's over. You don't make um, over a billion dollars without hitting all four right. quadrants without hitting all four right. quadrants, right? right. So my point, um, yes, like, I love like, it. You know, shitty Ben Shapiro can whine as much as he wants about his small dick and his fucking. No movie was assaulted more. Yeah, by by that by that faction than Barbie. None. So if go woke go broke was true, yeah, uh, Barbie would have failed. That's right, or made half the or a less amount, anyways. But um, great segue. The other thing I wanted to talk about. So talking about going to the movies, um, Kevin Smith just talked about his next film, which is already written. He got he got it written ahead of the strike. And it's actually, this is interesting. So he's he's gotten a waiver to start production. So they give waivers out to films that don't qualify for the MWF uh, PTA. Okay. Okay? Right. Yep. It doesn't fall under that. Uh, so it's it's made around the studio, right? So it doesn't qualify. So he's given, so films have been, it's, he's not the first one. So films, he got a waiver to start production on it. Mm-hmm. So it takes, so this film takes place in 1986. Uh, Jeremy, this is like right up our alley. This is about... Two guys who go to see a movie and then once they're in, go see movies all day for free. <laughs> right. right. They pay for one and then just hide and then just keep going to films. They stay in the, the, the theater. I wonder right? if he filmed it in his own theater that he owned. Yeah, he did. It has something to do so with the theater he in his home. He filmed it for free. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, awesome. yeah, keep that budget down. But awesome. so he just talked about that. That's his next film. Is I don't know. I don't think he had a title. He didn't reveal it. But yeah, so it's it takes place in 1986 and it's about, which is interesting because. Uh, at some point, I want an episode of Please Rewind Plus to be about 1986, the year in film, um, sure. yeah. because it's because it's a fucking incredible year yeah. uh, in film. But um, yeah, so that's he just talked about that. So that should be kind of interesting. And, and awesome. you know, and, you know, hopefully he's fingers crossed. It feels like it's been a while since Mr. Smith uh, produced something, you know decent <laughs> worthy of seeing yeah 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 We're, worthy yeah. of seeing yeah as much but, as i love him yeah yeah <laughs> it, it does feel like though like it's like um like with the subject matter it's like i kind of feel like you have to kind of see it in a theater don't you right don't you want to see a movie about yeah. being in movies in a movie theater i don't know kind of feel I, like I, yeah it's it's, it's yeah. maybe that's part of the manipulation but sure, yes, for sure for sure but, yes for sure Anyways, and, and, um, and someday I want to make a pilgrimage to Kevin Smith's theater, yeah, and, yep. and, put that, and put that money in his pocket too, because um, yep. I think it's awesome what he's done, and I think it's an awesome mecca to, you know, the culture that we love so much. And, um, we don't have we don't have a ton of time, but maybe at some point yeah. we'll. I promise, Christy, would we, we would tell our Kevin Smith story on air again, sure, day, sure. but maybe down the road. But um, let's get started here. What do you say? Oh, you ready right. to talk some some comedies? Yes, man. All right. Up oh, wow. first, uh, Blazing Saddles, a big one, two big ones, really. In the in the history, you know, the annals of uh, comedy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. pretty two pretty big ones. Blazing Saddles, release date, February seventh, nineteen seventy four. Uh, of course, uh, any it's a Mel Brooks film, which means he has he's he's all over this thing. So directed by Mel Brooks, written by Mel Brooks, 
Norman Steinberg, Andrew Bergman, and Richard Pryor and Alan Uger. The reason I mentioned them all is because this script actually went through a few different changes. It this wasn't an easy script to get through. It, it went through several rewrites because the story was by Andrew Bergman. It wasn't a Mel Brooks story. But yeah, Richard Parr at one point had had contributed quite a bit of writing to this script. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, probably because they were trying to get him to be in it. Um, but that didn't work out. Um, starring, the, instead of Richard Pryor, Cleavon Little, Gene Wilder, Slim Pickens. Uh, Mel Brooks, of course, plays a few roles. Harvey Corman and Madeline Kahn. I made $120 million in 1974 off a $2.6 million budget, which is insane, which is insane. That's huge. Yeah. Um, A little bit of trivia. Since this show was about, it doesn't specifically say this is the first black sheriff in a town, but it kind of, I think it's kind of meant to be. But the actual real first black sheriff in the U.S. was Walter Moses Burton in Texas in 1869. Nice. There you go. So I what do you, you said this was the 1890s in this movie? Yeah, we, yeah, I wrote that down somewhere, but it's And there is a line uh, you could become the governor, you could become president for you could be a hero for nominating the first black sheriff. I think that was a line in the movie. So Oh, okay. So maybe they did touch on that, but um it's close. Yeah, to, not too uh, far off. Close, but close yeah, that's um that's an incredible amount of money for 1974, especially on that oh, budget. On that, on that budget, well, yeah, like, I, I, got I was insane. shocked when you said that number. That, yeah, that is huge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, listen. There's the elephant in the room is um, the insane amount of the uses of the N word. Offensive uh, as hell. It's um, it's uh, they say the F word a lot. I mean the F A G word, not the F U C K one, not fuck the other one. Um, they say the C word as referring to Asians. Um, yeah, yeah. Like it's just it's littered with with la- you know offensive language for sure. And they throw all of that into the first it's, five minutes of the it's, movie it's, to let yeah, you know what's going on. I, right, you're right. I wrote that down. Like within five minutes, you you hear you hear just about every racial blasphemy <laughs> you possibly yes. think of. Um, so I think you know. So let's like let's just get into that right now. Like this is yeah. so this is this is satire. This is satirical, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of a, a line. You know, actually, this is Robert Downey Jr. said this a few years ago when somebody was sort of asking him about his part in Tropic Thunder, right, where he played an Australian playing a black man, and he was full blackface in that film. And he just said, like, there's there's always there has to always be room for satire, and mm-hmm. I and I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And the problem I think nowadays is that why you probably can't do satire effectively anymore because like people refuse to even, you know, recognize pronouns anymore. Yeah. Like there are just bigots and assholes out there who won't even refer to someone by the pronoun or however they wish to be um, referred to as. And isn't that like the basic, isn't that like the basic social interaction? Like that's, it right? makes no sense to me. Like I that remember... is the most that is the least amount of effort you're asked to to put into a social interaction as we all sign the social contract, right? Living on planet yeah. Earth. That's the yeah. least of it. And if mm-hmm. and people refuse to even do that. So of course, so how are we supposed to have satire nowadays without it being ripped apart, torn apart by either side, scathing, whatever, yada yada yada. Yeah. Yeah, good question. I I but but I mean I, I can't you just ask didn't I just ask this the same question about Barbie almost, right? And yep. and didn't Barbie just prove that maybe like that doesn't really matter? Like maybe the conversation that that we are exposed to is such a tiny bubble and in the real world. Yeah. Like, I hope numbers, so. These yeah. numbers are showing us that people still like something if it's good and and uh which and is, don't, right. don't have to attack everything with, with with an agenda, right? Which, like you just said, I think you hit on the key point there. Right. Um, this is because it's good. Right. Um, and it's very clear that Mel Brooks is making all the racists look like fucking idiots. Right. Like they're total morons. Which he right? does the same thing to 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 Jewish people. Uh, yeah. Always, right? Um, which he is, right? So, like, he makes them look like idiots. The smartest person in the film is Cleavon Little. Yes. Like character wise, anyways, maybe yes. in real life, too. I don't know anything about Cleveland Little outside of this. Right. He's the smartest person in the room. Like the the racists in this are portrayed as buffoons, as complete idiots, like like and I mean, like idiots, yeah. right? like not even, you know, uneducated. Like, I mean, like probably have a mental disorder. Right. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I ha- but I made a note. Even so. All of the the um like redneck racist characters in this are played to be so like shockingly shockingly 
far out there on the edge. Yeah. But they're pretty mild compared to what you see on the news at a typical Trump rally today. Like, I feel like oh, hey, there yeah. was so much reality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In all of this satire and this this, this being like a, 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 a almost 50 year old movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, came out before I was born. Yeah, it came, I was I was a year old. You're a year this, old. This yeah. Came out. yeah, this was like this was not in my wheelhouse as a child. I it, I was too young for it, and I right. I didn't. I don't think I even watched it until my adolescence, my probably late adolescence, because um, I wasn't interested in it at all um, <laughs> prior to that. I don't think, but I was. Yeah, I, well, it's. I only dug into. I don't remember what my first Mel Brooks film was. Like the, it would be easy to say Spaceballs, but well, Spaceballs is where I just became yeah. aware of Mel Brooks and and that he like. I feel like though I'd seen Bra- I feel like I'd seen Bride of Frankenstein already. I feel like I don't feel yeah. like Spaceballs was my first Mel Brooks movie, but yeah. it definitely wasn't Blading Blazing Saddles. Yeah. That I can tell you for sure. Whatever I, I saw, my dad was a fan of this movie. I think I was probably aware of it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Yeah, it's clearly satirical. It's clear. He, it's clear that point he's making is that racism is stupid and ugly and offensive and idiotic and moronic, right? I think that is very clear. So that's why I think it actually the comedy for me holds up so well. And even though it's like clearly a fantasy, like I kept thinking this. This reminded me of, and it's probably because Seth MacFarlane is probably he's got to be a Mel Brooks fan. This reminded me of this felt like a Family Guy episode to me in a way. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's this, there's singing in it. There's like there's dancing. There's there's uh, yeah. it, it's it's offensive across the board to everybody right it offends everybody sort of equally um i described it as extremely vaudevillian and yeah both well that yeah and, and, yeah and family guy is very much like that that's yeah. very much in in seth's wheelhouse right um it's also like like a gag a minute like it's crammed full of mm-hmm. comedy right like every scene or line is meant to set up a, a joke um there's like and, and there's a lot yeah. of you could tell there's a lot of ad-libbing that got included by yeah. like a lot of comic geniuses starred in this film and a lot of this movie is just point the camera at this comic genius on this static set on a static shot and see what they do like like the carol Burnett show that's what I put, I put it in my notes it's like a it's like a a a, 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 a feature length episode a feature like the r-rated episode of the carol Burnett show yeah um, it feels like a but Mel Brooks is of that time, so that kind of makes yeah. sense, I guess, yeah. too, right? It's but very um, much of the time, yeah. yeah. Um, so like it's completely crammed full of comedy, and I found that like I've seen this movie a handful of times, like I've you know, not a lot, yeah. but I've seen it like you know, probably half a dozen times. I laughed out loud at all the Cisco kid stuff. Gene Wilder's fantastic in this movie, mm-hmm. um, his performance is yeah, nuanced, understated. He never, um, he never outshines the lead. He just supports. No, him. he's the perfect, yeah, sidekick. Harvey Corman is great as the attorney general, like the uh, the wispy, yeah, like Corman. mustached, like he's fantastic he, in this movie. He's, he's the yeah. dark helmet of this film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's funny actually. Right after this, my rewatch, I watched Spaceballs right after it because I'm just, I was just got in the got in the mood and and I watched Spaceballs. So right many, yeah. so many like port overs from blazing saddles to space balls like like direct yeah rip he, like self rip off he has a trope he definitely has a, a thing yeah. yeah um so like the that's what i was like sitting here watching them I was like man the, the performances in this are really great now you know and that's yeah. i assume because everybody is willing to go the extra mile for mel brooks right but um um but yeah that really struck me is is i i, I found myself laughing out loud you know a handful of times um which the other movie we'll talk about i didn't laugh once so um it, i think it, it to me it holds up very well um there's like it, just and it's my type of sense of humor a little sarcastic dry um you know there's a great line near the end where they're even though the plot makes kind of just veers off but they go to, they try and sneak into the camp right right before they dress up as kkk guys yeah. and there's you know the one guy's chewing gum in line yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah. and and, and H- hetty lamar is he he kills him because he, he didn't bring he didn't bring enough for everybody, yeah, yeah. and then Gene Wilder delivers just like boys he's tricked like just that great delivery yeah. the great line it's just it's like laugh out loud funny stuff right so it's funny how the script went through so many changes but it ended up being just a really funny script to me um, 
Yeah. I, what about you? Was it? Were you laughing? Did you? Do you? Uh, you know what? I uh, I don't know that I don't know that I laughed a lot. I I found myself um um the the use of the n word was so frequent that I yep. found myself stopping to think about it so much that it, maybe it pulled me out. Yep. Um, um and, and it brought me back to the times and it brought me back to you know what i have some uh, on the on this topic specifically uh you know personal like life life point of view uh you know when i was a kid it was uh, it, it, i thought it was okay to use that word uh, to be yeah. funny right um yeah. Yeah. and uh it, and it, it, I came from a culture that comes from that was influenced by things like this, right? Um, and, and so, like, I, I think hard about that. I'm like, oh, wow, I have a lot of guilt about uh, a couple of times when I used the N word when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, that I, I still, I still sweat about, you know. Um, and then I, this, this reminds me of that, right? So, um, uh, I don't know that I laughed a lot, but I did like I really appreciate uh, everybody's performances. Um, and I thought there was uh, some amazing, funny jokes and lines that I wrote down that they were because they were so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 the performances like um, j- like little stuff like the the paddle ball scene where um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, where Harvey yeah. Corman is just fucking dope at using it. And, like <laughs> like first try like this. Like yeah. what are you talking about? They work fine. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, you know, how much did he have to rehearse for that? And right. and probably had already done it for the Carol, Bur- Carol Burnett show or the sure. or the stage show that he was on before that that got him the job for at Carol Burnett, right? Like just because these guys were like hardworking show business people in those days. Um the, the their talents are just like showcased. Um so I, I don't I don't know if I laughed, but I enjoyed um I reveled um in a lot of the performances. Well, a lot of these guys are because the background that you've been referring to, right? Carol Burnett stuff, Carol Burnett stuff and stage stuff. These are like, like triple quadruple threat performers, right? They sing, they dance, they act obviously, right? Like they could do drama, they can do comedy, they can do satire, obviously, right? Like that's, this is the, this is what, this is what, this is what they cut their teeth on. So yeah, like they can do this stuff. Um, Gene Wilder too, right? Like this is, you know, they can do this stuff like no problem. And that's like you said, that feeling of it, vaudevillian and, and, and uh, for, makes a lot of sense. And the Carol Burnett stuff makes total sense because that's where these, you know, these people are all from that line. Right. So yeah. like uh, uh, getting a Mel Brooks script for them must be just like, just great. Right. Like, because it's like, okay, now we're going to get to do what we love to do, but we're going to get to do it fully with no holds barred. Right. Yeah. Like, we're yep. going to, like, the more offensive the joke is, the more they're going to like it. And it'll be up to censors to, to cut it out later if, if there's, if it's, if it's going to get cut out. Um, and, and it's like, now I'm at the coolest party in Hollywood on this set. Right. Like, we, we have millions of dollars to just do the most fun, outrageous shit we could possibly think of and show off our talents together with the best people in the industry. And there's probably just an endless party backstage, like constantly. And then at the end of this thing, when it devolves into a broken reality kind of kind of thing, uh, they kind of show that a little bit. Right. Um, well, that's like, what I yeah, I want to talk about the ending here. Um, the, ending is, the ending is spectacular uh, in my boy. It's 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 obviously like, you know, sort of ahead of its time. It, it's meta before we, you know, we yeah. all started using that word. But so meta. Um, it's also I it's I think it, it ultimately it works, but it's a little for me, a little too uncomfortably uh, anachronistic. And I don't and I have a problem with film. I was talking about this in the soundtrack one I did with Christy, where like I don't necessarily always like it when a period piece uses music of of uh from that not from that period right right so contemporary films don't have this problem because they have a whole history of music to draw from but like if a film takes place in 19 like a moulin rouge or something a movie that like takes place way way long ago but uses contemporary artists or music in it right like across the universe or stuff like this like it i don't necessarily i think there's more misses than hits when people do that so that it's kind of it's a little weird for me so at the end of this film yeah when like the fourth wall is broken Literally, Literally. right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know if I, I don't know. And then they bring it back to the West, but then yes. they, but then they seal the deal though with they them getting it. A, no, but then they get, but no, but they get, then they have them getting in a car. Yeah. So like they, they, 
Reality they break the fourth, and then they break the fourth wall. Break puts you back in it. Break it again. Put you back in it. Then break it again. They break it again. Yeah. So it's like to say, I don't know. To yeah. say like Hollywood is this wonderland where reality and fantasy all cross over, and it's all just one big crazy fun mashup. Yeah, and, and and I I get it. He's toying with our sensibilities. He's toying with like this idea, like you said, that Hollywood is precious. Like he's the, the magic is gone, basically, right? Like he's he's yeah. erased the magic. Um, so then it makes you sort of look at the film a little differently. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, I don't. Yeah, it'd be tough if I don't. It can only work in a crazy satire comedy like this, I think, because yeah. you couldn't do it in any other genre because the, the whole idea of of uh, suspending disbelief only really works in 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 so many different in so many genres right so yeah. um that's why it's always tricky when like that's what that's one of the things about barbie that that, that i thought they did really well right because spoiler alert uh, barbie goes to the real world um you know it's that can go that can go off the rails that can go bad quickly right but i thought it to me it wasn't the best part i still like barbie land i thought the barbie land stuff was the best parts of the film right. but they held the other stuff, the second act, so well. I thought it. I thought it was fine, but um, yeah. This. So I don't know how I feel about the ending of this one. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. You like. Well, you liked I, it. Yeah. The film up to up until the ending was full of an other anachronisms. I actually had a note about that. Um, the, like like the executioner wore medieval chainmail armor. Oh well, the, well the lineup of bandits had people from all different eras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there's that scene where he does the Bugs Bunny routine, and then he says, "I the the most amazing thing is I had to invent the candy gram to do that joke because it didn't <laughs> right. exist yet at this time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, the were all throughout it, but I loved the way that um, Harvey Corbett said to the cab driver, "Take me off this." film immediately and then he goes <laughs> to watch the movie to see how the movie ends exactly like Spaceballs when right. they watch the cassette of the movie right like yep. Spaceballs totally ripped this off yeah uh, another thing like like when Harvey Corman's in the bathtub playing with his dolls uh it's exactly the same as uh Lord as as Dark Helmet playing with his action figures <laughs> yeah um yeah no you're right so many so many things he, he poured it over but he just made it more mainstream for space balls he took out like nobody smokes weed in space balls and right. and the black joke is very very uh uh you know not nearly as blatant and bash you over the head as using the n-word um yeah. in space balls um it's it, it he, mel brooks reminds me of the uh well remember those fucking guys those they would have do those shows in tv where they would reveal the magic tricks like what went behind the magic tricks yeah, yeah. The masked magician was that it? He was masked. I think it was yeah, the masked yeah, yeah. something, right? Where he would reveal all the industry's secrets yep, about how to do magic. This is kind of like the like to me. This he is feels back the curtain too much. Yeah, I, that's what I kind of I kind of feel like. And then to me, it just gets a little. It got the ending gets a little too chaotic, right? Because they crashed the one set. And Dom Deloise is Dom Deloise is the director of that amazing, yeah. Talk about Family Guy. The opening credits of Family Guy almost is that scene. Um, it it just and then the brawl, the fight on the Hollywood. It just, I, I don't know. I, I think it gets a little too chaotic for me at the end. But um, I wonder if, if, uh, if they had just played it more, had to played it straight right to the end, how it would have, how it would have worked out. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like he. I feel like they wanted a big symphonic, uh, cinematic crescendo. Yeah. And they just they just got in a room together and said, "What what is the most fun we can do? This is how much money we have left in the budget. Like, what do you say? Well, yeah. What if we left the set and went and went over to the set of another movie at, in the big brawl at the end? Oh, that's so crazy. What could that other movie be? Who could the director be? Right. Um. Well, you can't like, do that. Well, you can't do it subtly. You're right. If you're gonna yeah. do it, you gotta go for it. Yeah. 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 I feel like yeah. that was the point. Was like we give it the biggest crashing finale we can and maybe word of mouth because of that was why this movie was such a smash success at the time right yeah i'm sure like hollywood people loved it at the time right they probably thought it was hilarious yeah mind-blowing mind-blowing and hilarious at the same time um um so all right well despite uh the chaotic ending for me uh, i'm gonna please rewind i i like I, I like this movie it makes me laugh um I, I can't imagine it never making me not laugh um i think the performances are good enough that it holds up for yep. sure um again we talked about sort of the use of the n-word and stuff but i think because it's so satirical and because i just really within my bones believe satire is so important and we need to hang on to it um and if that means sort of like you know 
rehashing older films and so be it. Um, I think it's clear what his message is with, with the racism in this film. Um, that again, I, I just, I don't, it doesn't land like, you know, Quentin Tarantino, I like remember in Pulp Fiction, he says the N word and it's like his character, right? Yep. And that, that one bites a little, right? That yep. one, bite that one stings a bit. Yep. So it's, it's, it's trickier, right? It's different context of course matters. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's but it's it's a tricky subject, and it's one that I tell usually people just to stay out of. Right? It's it's not for us mm-hmm. to talk about. It's like it'd be like abortion. Yeah. I'd be like abortion. Men just stay out of it. Right? Just yeah. fucking stay out of it. So, yeah. but I, I think uh, in, in certain hands, it it can be done, you know, appropriately, you know, sensitive sensitively and with respect. And I think that's one. This is one of these cases. Okay. So you are pleased we wind. Yeah. God, I was still on the fence um, because I, I do I do really enjoy this movie and I do love Mel Brooks and you know uh, I, Luke's and I are going to watch Spaceballs, um, but um, I, I, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna want Lucas to avoid Blazing Saddles until <laughs> until he's older. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That makes sense, but not Spaceballs though. Not Spaceballs. No, I mean, no. Spaceballs is, is going to, but even in Spaceballs, there's stuff that if he repeats it on the schoolyard uh, today is probably uh, yeah. over the line. Um, so wait a bit to introduce him to Mel Brooks then. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I feel like I uh, maybe, maybe I feel like this belongs in film class and I feel like it belongs um, maybe in adult, uh, in adult viewing. Um, uh no, I hear it. Which, 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 you know what? I bet Mel Brooks would probably agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know what? It's a very close shave for me, but I, this is, this is one I'm going to diverge with you on. And I'm going to say, yeah. be kind. Let's leave this on the shelf. It's, it's maybe a little too hot uh, to handle uh, these days. I don't want to cancel it. I don't want to make it go away, but I don't want to see it like show up on Saturday morning to your television. Uh, yeah. No, well, listen. I, it's it's. This is the common. There's a pattern forming here. A lot of decisions that we, you and I, make, and you're always you're thinking like a dad. Yep. A lot yep. of times, right? Which yep. is of course great and as it should be and natural. So, but all right. So that's good. We're so split we on that one. Um. Okay, another big one up next. Another all-time famous one. Uh, Caddyshack, yeah, released yeah. in the summer, July twenty fifth, nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by uh, Harold Ramis, another. Sort of another sort of auteur, like right. He when yeah. he does a film, he tends to be all over it. So yeah. directed by Harold Ramis, may he rest in peace. Written by Harold Ramis, of course. Brian Doyle Murray, yes, Murray, as in Bill Murray's brother, mm-hmm. and Doug. Excuse me, Doug Kenny, starring. This is yeah. So yeah. starring Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Ted Knight, and Ronnie Dangerfield, but actually starring Michael O'Keefe, Sarah Holcomb, Cindy Morgan, Scott Columbi, and Brian yeah. Doyle Murray. So, yeah. uh on a budget of six million, it made sixty million. So again, sort of, you know, kind of successful for nineteen eighty for sure. Yep, for sure. Yep. Um, so that's the thing I really want to get into early here is that, and 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 even on the poster, the stars of this movie are not the stars of this movie. No. Um. So it's it's very strange, isn't it? Right. Like, uh, it's. I feel like maybe it's representative of the times. I had this exact thought. Um, this is a time when multiple protagonists was a thing, a common yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. Like there's a lead, there's the leading man who gets the girl. And then there's the leading man who like flirts with the girl, maybe gets a different girl. Right. Or maybe becomes like friends with the girl and they're all best friends at the end. But like a lot of movies, I feel from that, from, from this era, uh, like rolled like that, like Star Wars is a movie like that. For example, uh, there's two leading men, right? Or then, then there's three leading men at one point. Um, so I, I don't know. Is that what you're talking about? Do you think? Well, no, I no, I think that like they the 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 character who has the arc who goes through is Michael O'Keefe, Danny. Yes, yes. Right, he's the star of this film. Like, if you read this script, right, and didn't sure. see any pictures or anything, right, no posters, right. no nothing, hadn't seen the movie and read this script, Danny's the star of this film. Right? right, he Chevy has Chase mentors him, and he has the arc. Like, like a hero the whole time. Chase is well. barely in it, right? Yeah. Like Bill Murray, yeah. like he's not. He's hardly in it. Like um, Ted Knight's in it a lot. Um, but those four guys are the big names of the time. All yeah. four of them are on the poster, yeah. and he's not. 
Um, those four guys did the press for this movie, but they are not, they are all supporting characters in the in this film. If by the story, if you go yeah. by the story, okay. Um, now, obviously, the studio is saying, "Well, we need these guys in this film. They're the these are the names we got, right? These are all Harold Ramis's buddies at the time. Yada yada yada, for sure." But like the emotion, if there is any emotion in this film, anything that goes on in the story is with the three, Michael O'Keefe, um, Scott Columby, and Sarah Holcomb, who are the three caddies that we see and deal with the most. Like right. it's it's their story. It's a day in their life, right? right? Not not the other guys. The other guys are there because it all takes place in the same spot, more or less. But um, but there are like the stuff that happens that has anything to do with like actual real world issues like there is like a socioeconomic underpinnings to this film and there's a there's a pregnancy scare in this film and this happens to those kids like the lead characters right it doesn't happen to the other guys the other guys the other guys are buffoons like like wildly buffoonic right like even chevy chase like i know he's the he plays the straight man but he says things he he says things once in a while that makes you think like he's not bright at all right (laughs) so um he tries to re- he tries to fall back on his personal style of comedy, which is the stumble bum, goofy guy, like the the vacation dog, dad, right? Well, but at the and, same but, time, he's but also his a sex. Was not written to be that. No, but at the same time, he's also of the time. He's considered sexy at the time. Like he yes. gets the uh, gets a, Morgan the character, yeah, like yeah. right, which is crazy to me, right? The, but he was like that in, in Fletch too. So, um, yeah. So like that's what I'm saying. Like it's 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 a strange film because again, the stars of the film aren't the stars of the film. Any emotional or any like actual real world, you know, underpinnings that happen, like I, I like again, social, economic, or pregnancy happen to the kids. Nothing to do with the adults, more or less. There's weird fantasy elements in this film, right? This the synchronized swimming bit, yeah, the, the groundhog, of course, um, which is yeah, something I want to talk about too in a second. But like, it's it's a strange fucking movie. Like I yeah. feel like, and I don't know if Harold like Harold Ramis smokes pot in some of his movies, but I don't know if he's a pot smoker. Like, I feel like this feels like a Seth Rogen script to me more than like, yeah. it's, it's fucking nuts. Right. Like it, it yeah. almost doesn't make any, there's like, there's no passage of time. Like the, like there's the editing is terrible. Like it's, it's a very <laughs> strange film to me. It is strange. And there is like a, there is like a, a lack of reality. There's it's a very it's a very um, surface level reality. It's but I, I feel like I've made a comment that it's a very MTV like reality. It's very much of the times in its presentation of 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 reality in that. Um, like it does just it shows you a lot of stuff that's really cool and popular at the time. Uh, to the point of of a lot of a lot of characters don't seem real uh, because it, it tries to like like Harold Ramis is trying to say oh this is cool this is cool this is cool um, but like sometimes he hits it and sometimes he misses it I think I think <laughs> that's think... that's part of it for sure like this movie doesn't age well at all to me um, yeah. but you're right at the time in 1980 yeah maybe Roger Dangerfield you know I know he's obviously an immensely popular comedian like you know people yeah. consider him one of the all-time greats yeah 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 but like in this movie he's 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 a he's a complete he's a clown right like he's yeah. a total he's a total, total jester right um I but- I think I think there were I think we were missing scenes of him doing blow uh constantly and, and that, that would have explained <laughs> his character right right and and then it would that would be like a lot of guys Harold Ramis knew right right um and you'd get it but but you couldn't probably get that in the, into that into this movie <laughs> Here's so again okay, here and so for me here's the biggest sin. Um, it's it, I, I mean generally speaking to me it's not a funny film at all. If there was any if there was any bits that I kind of just smirked at, they came and went in like the first third of the film. This film just at, at really early too early in my opinion stops being funny. Okay. And again, we talked about this at the beginning about subjectivity and stuff for sure. I'm sure yep, there are yep, pe- yep. people who probably who probably think the the payday bar in the pool is hilarious, right? The shit, the piece of shit in the pool, right? Scene, right, right? right, right. There, I'm sure there are people who think that's hilarious and and good for them. Um, even like the scene, you know, where they're christening his boat, which is way too small for the amount of money he has. Yeah, yeah. But like, it looks goofy now. 
yeah, he's they're christening the boat, and then Dangerfield comes pouring in with his huge boat, and he can't control it or whatever. Like, yeah. I'm sure people laugh at that, uh, you know. Like, but to me, this thing like comes to a grinding halt way too early, and now I'm stuck watching this film with all these characters who aren't like these aren't good. None of them are good people, right? None of them. Like even right. even Danny like cheats on his girlfriend who who was yep. fucking pregnant at the time yep. or thought she was pregnant. Um, right? Like I, I, it's it's cynical. That's what I put. Um, it's you know, very cynical. Danny yeah. just cheats yeah. on his pregnant girlfriend at the end, and there are no consequences. She's just like, oh, don't worry about it. I know you're a good guy on the inside, and and then that's it. And then the girl he cheats with this ends up with Chevy Chase, and that's and that's che- like Chevy Chase's win at the end. <laughs> so right, because um, he doesn't even really. And his the thing he had going for him was his golf, and he doesn't end up even being the best golfer. So it's yeah. like it's a strange thing, right? But yeah. Um, but it's so it's funny though. So cynical having said, is what I put, I think I think Harold Ramis was 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 showing that he's kind, he was kind of a cynical guy when he wrote this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so having said all that, I actually thought Chevy Chase and Ted Knight were quite good in this film. Like, yeah. uh, I thought Ted Knight was great in this film. Yeah. Like he plays that part like well. Yep. You know, really well. Iconically, so I think it his it his nervous laugh is great, right? Like when yeah, he's yeah. right when he's busted or caught on caught red hand, you know, he, that yeah. Ted Knight laugh is fantastic. Yeah. And I thought and I, I think Chevy Chase, I thought Chevy Chase was was good at it. Like I really thought he was um any any time I did smirk was was something a line he dropped in his his usual Chevy Chase, you know, sarcastic whatever way. So um yeah, I thought he was quite I thought he was good in it. Um I just I, I just don't know if the script is any good to me. Um it, which is shocking, right? Because like Hill Ramis wrote some incredible stuff. But um so it's but I, I but I also kept thinking about the relationship between Harold Ramis and Bill Murray. Um and the groundhog thing is funny to me because they did Groundhog's Day together however many years later. Yep. Um, which would be their last film together because they hated each other making that film. They didn't talk for like 20 years up until Harold Ramis' death. Um, but I looked into that. I'm like, well, there's got to be that connection. But it, I couldn't find it anywhere. If somebody can find it, send a link to me, please. The groundhog, there's no connection between the gopher and the groundhog. None. Okay. Like I thought, oh, even 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 if it was just like an inside joke, right? Like, because and and you find out that Bill Murray wasn't even the first choice for Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably just a good script that got in development in the in the Hollywood machine. And oh yeah, no, for sure, no. But then eventually, yeah, it would go to Mary eventually, for sure. Yeah, but and then, but that film ruined their friendship for life, basically for the rest of their life because Harold Ramis died. They made up at the very end. Oh no, awful, awful. Um, but you know that team they would go on. I mean, like Stripes, Ghostbusters, obviously. Like I mean, it was incredible stuff, right? And I and I feel like that this was. Um, because it was very early in, in Harold um Ramis's career here. And yeah. um I'm gonna just click it real quick here. I feel like it's the first film that he wrote, but um oh no, his third, uh Animal House, Meatballs, and Caddyshack. So okay. um first one he directed. Yeah. So um yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know. I think about I, it- Meatballs is kind of the same movie, right? Where the kids yeah. are the, the kids are the stars. It's it's a slice that. of life, right? It's a day in yeah. the life of so it, it, in Meatballs, it's camp, and at this one, it's a golf course, right? right? A day in the life, basically, yeah. Um, but I don't. It's just Animal House. It's University. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I don't know. I, it's uh, like I said, I think I just I'm just for a comedy. <laughs> I just didn't find it very funny, and I've seen it before, but oh, not 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 as many times as I'd seen Blazing Saddles, but but I have seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what do you think? Okay, so you yeah. you're 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 be kind. Did you did you say? Yeah, that? The, oh my, yeah, no, this is definitely going back on the shelf for me. Um, okay. Yeah, I yeah. don't know where to put the sound effects, Steve. So put it right there, right there, buddy. Do it right there. Yeah, you can even throw it out if you want to use the glass sound effect again. You can do that too oh, if you want. Well, anyway. well and, and again, he doesn't want to see this it's, one again. It's too. I mean, listen, it's too. It's too harmless to hate. Yeah. Right. But it's just like, yeah, I don't. I don't think you know. I'll. I'll never. Uh, never watch this film again. Okay. Yeah. Not. Not voluntarily. Well, your last comment is why I'm keeping it, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll throw that out there right now, so I can put my sound effects close together. Um, I, I'm a 
rewind on on this movie. Um, and uh, you know, I don't think it's the best movie. I think there is a lot of unbelievable characters, like you were talking about Rodney Dangerfield. Like, there's no way that dude would listen to that music and his his goofy gadgets, which were supposed to be cool, we just were like <laughs> silly, cartoony. Um, yeah, the stupid uh, golf bag, right, with the radio and the TV and the, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had in my notes. Um, both of these movies had strong Looney Tune influences right out of the gate um that gopher does that bugs bunny tunneling um right throughout it um and um you know in blazing saddles they lifted the bugs bunny routine like like exactly um and they actually did the theme they did the looney tunes theme in blazing saddles even so both right. these movies had a lot of looney tunes influence and i wanted to point that out that that, that was the, the era like uh that childhood uh, comedy show influenced all these adult uh, creators of the time. Um, uh, I, I love it. This movie opens with the dancing gopher scene, which lets you know you're at a party here. Like this is a fun time. That's what this is. You know, you're immediately tipped off to that. And, and then you're shown uh, Danny Noonan's character and how poor he is and his house that is full of children yeah um, whose kids are those <laughs> uh, they're his brothers and sisters and cousins apparently okay. um and uh and it totally reminds me of shameless which is a show that i love and but it reminds me of my own home which is full of kids all day long and that i'm dodging and having to weave around um and i felt like his home life felt really real and then they show you his yeah. you know he's on his way to work as as uh, as a caddy they show you like he starts riding his bike through the rich neighborhoods admiring yeah. them and yeah. you immediately know what this movie's about this is about a poor kid who wants to uh you know get the good life for himself right and they don't mess around with that they, they introduce that topic right away yeah and, he transitions um, from the poor side of town to the rich side of yeah town. so yeah. the plot of the movie is this poor kid wants to get with these rich people who he lives among every day because he works for them every day so like he's you know around them every day and it basically teaches you the lesson in life that life is not a meritocracy that it's all about who you know um and 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 that's very cynical and that's one of the many very cynical things about this script um that that um that Ramus just gets away with you know like nobody really there's no comeuppance for any of these of these cynical things you know um which is a sign of the times and not it wouldn't happen today um and, and a lot of this movie uh is definitely very much of the times and i think this is why i i, I enjoy it it reminds me so much of of, of all the stuff that it inspired and 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 that that pool scene as dumb as it is um and as sprawling and chaotic as it is uh, at some points it reminds me very much of that of the finale scene in blazing saddles in that i think all these creative people were like okay we're going to do this crazy huge scene there's going to be a million things we're going to cut to in this you know like just throw every idea you have at us we're going to write them all down and we're going to try everything we can and and some of it's going to get in the movie and some of it's not and a lot of that stuff just got repeated over and over again became memes and culture became like rock video memes and burger king commercial memes and beer commercial memes and like uh that scene i think um i can't think of a of a pool party scene that came before that that um really kind of set off that oh before uh, it no that, probably that not trope, before yeah. right yeah um so that i mean that's hugely influential um and uh i don't know i like the writing i laughed at i laugh at a lot of the jokes um i i think the chevy chase versus bill murray uh, at first, it was like, you know, they only gave you one at a time. And it's like, okay, they're in a competition in this movie because, like, they're both doing their own thing. It's both funny. It's different. But, you know, these guys are very competitive in their real lives, right? And from what we know about them, because we know about the history of this, these people yeah, um, from our fandom, our lifelong fandom of them, uh, is that we know they didn't all get along. They were always very competitive, very catty. Uh, so, uh, like, the, like it's fun. Well, Murray replaced them. him on Saturday Night Live, right? Yep, so, yep. Yeah. So it's fun for me to watch them work and to watch them think, okay, like, like he's trying so hard to be funnier uh, than Chase in this, and he's so, he's trying so funny to be so hard to be funnier in than Murray in this. So then, in this in the scene in the middle, when they finally get together and have a scene together, um, it almost feels to be like when uh, like like Pacino gets on gets on with uh, with what's his name with uh, with. De Niro on screen. Oh, Everybody's yeah. like, oh my God, Pacino and De Niro are going to be in a film together again. You know, it's like, it, 
I felt like it's like iconic when when the two of them get riffed off each other in that scene, and that scene just goes on and on and is stupid. But you could tell it's just the two. I, of them. I don't, yeah, but I don't think it played that way back then. No, maybe no. not. I think that's maybe hindsight. Not. That's hindsight. Yeah, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Um, but I just love it for that. I just love like think like what I know about these guys and seeing them together and and imagining what's going on in their minds. Um, uh, even though maybe not the funniest uh, scene, uh, really funny to watch them smoking smoking weed and drinking together like they've probably done a million times, you know, it, it, privately, um, and you know, portraying it and saying, you know, what's the funny way we can portray this, and and then trying it out and doing it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, all that I I really enjoy. Um, another movie uh, where like like move, use of marijuana in both these films, and both these films were huge, like successful films in their in their day i i thought that was interesting um because that became kind of uh you know not cool like the that didn't in mainstream films that kind of went away you know after the 80s like i think for sure well this would have been just ahead of the fucking reagan year, reagan bullshit years right so right, right they're really and, the and crackdown then, the real crackdown later, on, yeah. yeah and then yeah. later dave Chappelle brought it back for i guess with like get baked or whatever half baked um, yeah half baked yeah. yeah um yeah anyway i i i I really i think i really i really liked uh the caddyshack stuff like i liked brian doyle murray's character he's like the head of the manager of the caddyshack guys the caddies i like those scenes when they're there and even he gives them a hard time about there's been reports of smoking grass and (laughs) you know like i liked those scenes and Danny's you know, the, rival and the, the rival stuff within the caddies and yeah. uh and i like the pool scene when the caddies invade it because they only get access to us for 15 minutes a day or something or whatever it was right well they, those are the scenes where you're seeing harold ramus's work more no right? but like there's the sign right that says caddy get access yep. to the pool for it's like from 10 to 10 15 or something yeah. so i like it when they invade the pool and, and it scares all the like shitty people away yeah um but then to me that that scene just goes on too long because they include the whole synchronized swimming thing and then the the poop in the pool thing yeah uh more i think stuff that is indicative of the times like that synchronized swimming scene reminded me of uh, the fantasy scene from um from vacation uh where chevy chase is looking out at his his backyard and imagining the pool there and, and then imagining the girl swimming in his pool um I felt like that was happening, like that daydreaming scene. It also reminded me of uh, Oh Fast Times, uh, the, the the where he's imagining uh, the girl getting out of the pool and he's jerking off in the bathroom. Um, so it felt like, yeah, this is very much what they did uh, in this kind of film back then. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just kind of like it more than I. It, it did. There was nothing in here that offended me. Like you said, it's very safe, um, and it, and it's very nostalgic for me and uh, and cool. I think so. I, I think I would watch this before I would watch Blazing Saddles again. And um, it, this is a please rewind for me. I already said that. Um, so um, yeah, I guess that's all I have in my notes that I wanted to get out. Roddy Dangerfield funny, but the least believable character. Yeah, uh, I already said that. Um, I th- the scene in the middle where Bill Murray uh, caddies for the bishop and he's not even a caddy uh, and the bishop just is losing his mind in the rain and, and talking to God um, and Bill I Murray love that scene silently reacting like most of it uh, but like he has lines he's encouraging him to play through but um, he's like so like downplayed it but 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 it's so funny in that uh, like he knows what's going on and he's the smarter of the two in the situation um and actually like the one in like almost more in control of the situation um and then the way he just leaves them after he gets struck by light they just drops the bag and runs away oh god i laughed at that at that I, I i like that scene i think it's a yeah. funny scene the whole idea of him you know shooting the best game of his life during the worst storm of the yeah. century and then like and thinking it's because you know because god wants him to shoot the best game of his life and yes, then yes. and then he smites him at the end right breath and last hole and like yeah. uh i actually thought that that whole scene was funny and, and i do agree that i think you know murray's plays it just right in that scene but uh, it pulls right out as like a, yeah. a beautiful like short film or sketch it know? does the music yeah. is great like it's yeah. such a it doesn't almost belong in this film to me um yeah. it's but it but, but again i didn't laugh at it i just enjoyed it um yeah. but yeah so anyway um yeah uh, i i uh i i think this you know it's funny i just saw this thing where quentin tarantino was talking about um the difference between a chevy chase movie and a bill murray and why he prefers uh chevy chase movies and he says because 
uh, Bill Murray in his films, not in this one for sure, but I guess when he became a lead, more of a leading man, right? He he's like a, a curmudgeon who always comes around at the end, right? His movies end sort of happy in a sense. Like he gets the woman at the end or he turns like his character kind of has an arc and turns around right. more. Right. So like Groundhog Day, he's a grumpy asshole, but then he ends up happy and lovey dovey and gets the girl. He's like where Chevy Chase is like a prick, a constant prick throughout the film, even to the end. Like he has no arc. He says Chevy Chase characters never have an arc. <laughs> they're, right, they're, right. they're as prickish at the beginning as they are at the end. Right. Um, so because of that, he, you know, he, he says that's why he prefers Chevy Chase films. But um kind of interesting right so like this is the thing here so like i think chevy chase is, is a is you know a year or two ahead of bill murray at this point in their careers right because mm-hmm. only because he had those four or five years in Saturday Night Live, so he blew up earlier mm-hmm. um but you know it's what it's stripes is next for bill murray right right like it's 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 if it's so he goes from this to leading man stuff comedy stuff for bill murray and then chevy chase goes on to keep doing what he's doing so it's interesting to me how um I I yeah I, I feel this feels like a bump uh, not a bump on the road to me for them. I, I don't like when I look yeah. at their when I look at their careers I they don't this looks like a favor to me. This looks like a Harold Ramis favor to me. Yeah. Yeah. Harold, Harold Ramis had wanted to tell this story about a kid um you know uh trying to find success um and and he wanted to put some some personal anecdotes in it i think yeah um and and his friends came along and they got a paycheck and helped him sell it uh i think um i i i think it's a i think it's a decent movie yeah but um maybe maybe more for nostalgia reasons than anything else right um I'd like the writing too. Like I like Danny Noonan wins the tourney, befriends Ted Knight. Uh, he, he nails his coworker all in one day. Uh, you know, in in the middle of the movie, and you could tell he's starting to be the ball, like his mentor uh, Chevy Chase was telling him at the beginning of the movie. You know, trying to make, starting to make things happen for himself, and and then all of a sudden, you know. The, the 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 hot 80s girl in the movie uh is attracted to him and he he gets the the reward of of casual sex with the with the you know the random hot girl who's just impressed by him i, I think i felt like these are all stories from harold ramus's rise that he just wanted to tell yeah it feels like like i said i think i would i would like to have seen a movie just about caddies and i'd like to have seen a movie just about yeah. those, about those four at a golf course i, I wanted to ask you yeah. about happy gilmore uh i i felt like you know what? I felt like I wish the premise of this show was the audience picked one one movie and we got to pick something that, to compare it to because now I want to watch Happy Gilmore and compare it directly to this because I feel like Happy Gilmore was just Adam Sandler doing his version of Caddyshack. And I feel like he said the same in interviews. Um, Who wrote I feel it? Like... Who wrote Happy Gilmore? Let's see. I think it was Sandler. Who? Sandler. Oh. <laughs> I thought you said Seth. Uh, Adam Sandler and Tim Hurley. Hurley, Hurley probably yeah. his writing partner or something. But uh, um, yeah. I the better movie? The funnier movie? Funnier than Caddyshack? Yeah. Uh, for me, it is, I think. Yeah. Um, I, Sandler I, I, would be proud. I haven't seen Gilmore in a long time. I haven't seen Happy Gilmore in a long time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really like. Uh, there's so much I don't like about it, but there's so much I. I, I it gets it. Happy Gilmore, and by design, just goes completely off the rails. But right, like the principal who's the professional wrestler. Like, there's so much weird <laughs> shit in Happy Gilmore, yeah. and yeah. Steve Buscemi's character, right, where he has that kill list, but then puts lipstick on, but then ends up shooting the guy at the end, and like, there's so much weird shit in Happy Gilmore. Like, there's weird <laughs> shit in this too, though. Right? I fucking love. I mean, the best part of Happy. Um, oh no, no, I'm confusing Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. Oh my god, I just described oh, Billy Madison. Right. You didn't even correct me. Um, it's easy to I confuse. Did, I literally movies. just described the plot of Billy Madison. And we're talking about Happy Gilmore. Um, Happy Gilmore. Uh, I love. Well, here's the secret. One of the, it's not. I mean, a secret. Carl but, Weathers. No, Ben Stiller's best work is when he does cameos. Right. Um, and his cameo in this is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Weathers is good in it. I mean. Th- Happy Gilmore definitely gets quoted a lot more, right? I think we all like it's all in the hips. Go to your home, but you know the ball. Go to your home. Kevin Nealon, right? It's great. Yep, yep. Uh, the anything to do with um, who's his rival's name in it? Um, 
Shooter McGavin. Yeah. Shooter. Anything shooters gets, you know, the, the rhyming, the rhyming bit too. Yeah. Right. Like the, when he makes Google make some hay in the Bay or whatever, like it's happy Gilmore is very part of like the zeitgeist more than I think Billy Madison is. Price is wrong, Bob. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean that alone. Right. So, okay. So I like happy Gilmore, Billy Madison. Eh, I'm not so sure about, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they would stand up back to back. Jeez. Uh, now that I have it up, Happy Gilmore only made $38 million on a $12 million budget. Well, it didn't do as well. Not great, Adam Sandler. Uh, fun trivia for that movie. The graduate, well, most of the stuff was filmed right across the street from my high school, and a bunch of people went over and sat in the crowd for the graduation scene. It's filmed at the Robert McLaughlin uh, house there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember this. All right, well, yeah, comedies. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that show. I haven't even heard about any comedies coming. Like, there doesn't feel like there's a voice, does there? Like, who? If you had to name somebody right now, who's the voice of comedy in film? I I couldn't do it, Steve. And I was thinking that, like, like how much of these movies was just there are amazing, funny people out there in the world, professional comedians. If we hire them and point a camera at them and say, "This is your character," like, be funny, they will they will come up with so much material just on the spot because they're so talented. So much of these films were just that. And who who are those people now? Like, like there were funny people. Like, I mean, you know, uh, are there? So, well, I mean, like, I think Will Ferrell is subjectively funny, but I think he's only as good as the material he's given, right? Like, yeah. but. I mean like but no there's no voice though is what I'm saying yeah. right like Judd Apatow was a voice yeah. right Mel Brooks is a voice right Michael Ramis is a voice right like these are voices in comedy Who right like voices in comedy Olivia Wilde uh um what, what's his name her ex-husband the guy who just did that tv show that everybody liked that I hated. Ted Lasso Ted um Lasso whatever the, uh what is okay. his name mustache guy it's SNL uh god how do i remember his name i'm glad i'm, glad I'm so know. dumb now um anyways that guy well but i mean that's he didn't really i guess did he write ted i don't know if he wrote ted lasso or not i mean we'll see what he does from now i guess but taika watiti oh taika yeah yeah but i mean he jumped ship he's making fucking big shit now same thing with james gunn yeah if, he, if taika had stuck to his his other stuff maybe for sure i mean he he had it, but I mean, he wasn't mainstream until he did uh, Marvel, right? So, um, and now he's, he's just he's still no. doing great comedies. He's yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I'm you're, I'm glad you brought him up. Actually, well, I'm such a huge fan of uh, what we do in the shadows and and uh, the wilderness people, and uh, I love his um, "Our Flag Means Death." The TV pirate TV series was fantastic. Um, no, he's very funny. Um, oh well, and. Uh, Jojo Rabbit was hilarious, actually. But um, and he's the only one I can think of. People, if you can, yeah, you're right. I can't. Who's funny today? Again, but uh, like for a creator, today. right? Not yeah. not just an actor, <laughs> right? Because there were funny tour. Yeah, there are funny actors, of course, but um, yeah, who's like consistently making? There isn't. There just isn't. Right? We just it's That's just like missing that guy from Always Sunny. Just tried and failed with his like personal vanity project. God, it feels like so long since I sat in a theater and just like fucking laughed, right? Yeah, like, let's go to laugh at something. It was Judd Apatow would have been the last time. Like, I remember going to see like, and then not knowing. The funny thing about comedies too is because you don't put the the effort into it going into it that you do or for other Deadpool, things, right? Maybe. Well, Deadpool to me, Deadpool two especially is one of the funniest movies I've yeah. watched in the last twenty years. But yeah. um, but I mean, it's not like it, it's it's of course it's intentionally funny, but it's not. It, right. it's weird right it's it fits in its own category almost doesn't it so okay well let's say ryan reynolds i don't know i guess like these he does all, all his uh, movies are action comedies right essentially sure. so sure. i mean but i mean i don't know he's not writing them though too right he just happens to be a funny dude but he's a one note guy too he plays the same person in every movie but um yeah i mean his his career's all been comedies from waiting to Ben Wilder. Ben uh, Wilder. That's right. He that which is like another yeah. Animal House kind of. Uh, right. Yeah. Movie. Exactly. Okay. And well, was it wasn't it a Lampoons? Was it not National Lampoons? Yes, ben Wilder. It was National yeah. Lampoons. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's. I mean, he's definitely a, a good at and he's a face of comedy. But you know, is it's yeah. I'm just looking for like 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 those names we mentioned, like a creator, right? Yeah. Like somebody who's yeah. directing and writing and and you know like a strong voice. But anyways, who knows? You never know. That's the great thing about it. Like. It, you never know. This Maybe time we're next year, entering a, yeah. a, a time of renewal. This time next year, we could be, you know, completely saying, "Hey, this is the fucking funniest movie I've ever seen in my life." Yeah, that would be nice. 
Anyways. Okay. Well, until then, you know what? Maybe in another three episodes, we can try to have another comedy episode and uh, do do it again because there's a lot there's a lot to dig from. Yeah. Up next, I want to do a back to school one, and um, after that, uh, we're going to be into the fall. So it's start start to think about horror films, people. All right. All right. Sounds good. I'm getting spooky. I'm getting feeling. I'm feeling scared. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't muster up some. <laughs> Sign us out, buddy. All right, then. Uh, listen, uh, thanks for listening to episode three of Please Rewind. Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, follow us on Facebook. Um, please like and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, anywhere you could find us. Um, uh, please like and subscribe and comment and get in the conversation with us. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll see you uh, on episode four very soon. And uh, thank you. Good night. Good night.